Sponsored by Yaakov Abramchiev from um, Ariel Kosher. This is in honor of his, or Lizachus, his grandfather, Nisim Chai Ben Sara, who had passed away this past Shabbos on the 20th of Shvat. So this should be a big schus for his neshama and um, to carry the soul and to watch over the neshama, and that he should uh, channel and be a, a good um, um, beseecher up there for the entire family, and uh, the family shouldn't uh, know of any more, should be comforted, shouldn't know of any more pain or any more suffering, and the separation should be only very short, as hopefully all those who have passed will come back down here to join us again very soon. Hopefully it's only for a very short little pause. Another dedication was by Binyamin Hoffman, and this is in honor of his father's yard site on the 23rd of Shvat, which is tonight. Ephraim ben Rebavram. May his neshama have a very great aliyah. May he channel lots of brachas to you, Binyamin, and to your whole family, children and grandchildren, for much mazel bracha, and all, all blessings, both in the material and in the spiritual. Thank you for that dedication. Another sponsorship today was by, on the shir, was by Rabbi Naftali Estulin. And this is in honor of his very special mother, Rezel Bas Reb Chaim of Ram HaLevi, whose yard site is going to be on Friday, the 26th of Shvat. May she be a big Amelet Yosha for the family and lots of brachas to the whole to the whole mishpacha and everything begashmias and beruchmias. The CD this week, well, we have two dedications on the CD this week. Um, and actually there was, the, one dedication was both on the shear, was both for the shear and the CD. And this is by Rabbi Yossi Gordon. 
He's sponsoring the shear for Rafua Shalema for his father, Rabbi Gordon. Should have a complete and total Rafua. His name is Yeshua bin Yamin bin Miriam. May you have a complete and total Rafua, complete, complete, speedy, speedy recovery. The CD he sponsored in honor of his son's birthday, Menachem Mendel. It was the birthday, I think he said it's on the 26th, I'm not sure, also on Friday of Shvat. May he have lots of, may you should have a lots of, lots of nachas, and you should have a shnas prach and atzlocha, a very successful year, and you should only have nachas from him and from all your other children, abundant nachas, and only mazal and bracha, and only good news for the whole family. Another dedication on the CD this week was by Velvold Sikman, and this is in honor of his mother's yard site, Dina Rezel Bas Yitzchak Aaron, and her yard site is on Thursday, the 25th of Shvat. May your neshama have a great aliyah. And channel lots of blessings to you, Velvel, and to your whole family, in the in both in the material and in the spiritual for all 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 blessings. Thank you so much. This week is Parshas Mishpatim, and in the parsha that we study this week, it's the Torah was given last week, and this week the par- Torah portion discusses all the laws. Sometimes, the study at this point in the Torah can become a little dry. And technical, so it's always very important to try to find the Hasidis, the soul of the of the parasha, and that's what we're going to try to do tonight. And try to read a whole different story that you don't see when you read it, and it's a whole different dimension. I can almost say that this is this is and almost this is definitely Torah from Gan Eden, because it's Torah from Tzadikim who who re- who receive these these ideas not by just learning. They had to be their souls had to soar up to different realities to be able to pick up such insight and such light. In any case, the Torah begins with the first one of the laws, God tells Moshe Rabbeinu, these are the laws, after the Ten Commandments were given, it's not just Ten Commandments, there's a whole lot of other laws. And we're starting to enumerate the laws, these are the laws that you should place before them. And the first of the laws is talking about purchasing a Jewish slave, a Jewish bondsman. When you acquire a Jewish servant, um, Rashi says, we're talking about a case where someone is a thief and the thief doesn't have money to pay back so the courts sell him in order to raise the funds to be able to pay back for the thievery. So the Torah gives us the restrictions that you can only buy a Jew for six years. When it comes to seventh year, the person should go out and is freed without any payment. That's, the, that's what the Pasuk says. So the, the question over here is that you're going to give us, we just got the Ten Commandments, and now we're going to, now the rest of the Torah. There are so many crucial laws in the life of a Jew. From the laws of Kashrus, to the laws of prayer, and the laws of the Shema, and the laws of sacrifices, as we learn later, and the laws of the Holy Temple, and the laws of marriage, and all these laws that govern all aspects of our life. And it is important, of course, the laws governing interpersonal relationships are also very important. So the Torah is going to t- tell us over here laws pertaining to a person's financial obligations and the like. But couldn't we find anything more important to be the first thing after the Ten Commandments than dealing with a story about buying a, b- a bondsman, a-, a Jewish servant, which is so unlikely because someone stole and they don't have to pay back? It's a very, first of all, it's not applicable nowadays, but in addition to that, 
It's just such an unlikely thing. Now, it's not that the Torah doesn't have to talk about it, but we have a whole rest of the Torah. That this should be the first thing we're going to talk about right after Sinai is very strange. So that needs some explanation. We did discuss this a couple of years ago, maybe even last year, the same question, and offered a very, a very interesting insight and idea. Uh, but today we're going to approach it from a different angle. The other question is, the grammar over here seems to be very inconsistent. The Pasuk begins with, and these are the laws, that you should place before them, referring to Moshe, that you should teach the Jewish people. Then it continues, when you will purchase. Now, it should have, if we would be grammatically consistent, it would say, these are the laws that you should put before them. He's teaching them. So what should he say to them? Ki yiknu, or not what he says. What are the laws? Ki yiknu, when any of them will purchase. Ki yiknu, when they will purchase. God is talking to Moshe, telling him, I want you to teach him these laws. What laws should you teach them? If any of them will buy a slave, so ki yiknu, when they will buy a slave, this is what they should do. Ki sikna, two problems. Number one, we're talking in the singular as opposed to in the plural. Which right now we said, these are the laws you should place before all of them, lifnehem. So if it's, all, if it's all before all the Jewish people, should have said, ki yiknu, when they will buy. In addition to that, the first Pasuk is talking direct as if Moshe is talking. To Moshe, first person. That you should put lifnehem before them. So it should have continued, as we said, ki because you're putting it before them. Ki is suddenly speaking direct, straight. Ki when you will buy. It almost seems to imply, when Moshe, you will buy. Ki when you will buy, Eved Ivri, a Jewish slave. Because if we would be talking about if they're buying, and they're, they're not there, God is talking to Moshe now. So ki when they will buy. What is this Lushan? What is the meaning of Kisikna when you will buy? How does he suddenly switch? From unless you're gonna say, and God is giving him the actual words. When you speak to them, you should say Kisikna when you will buy. Okay, we could say that, but it would it would have read and be understood clearer if it would have been in the manner of as mentioned earlier. So obviously the Torah's got something up its sleeve here that um, it wants you to probe a little deeper and see what is, what, is it, what is a deeper interpretation of what's going on over here. So the idea is as follows. So this is a very, very beautiful teaching from Rav Shneer Zalman of Liadi, the Balatanya, the author of the Tanya, um, the great mystic Kabbalist and Rebbe. Uh, in his first discourse this week in his monumental book, Torah Or. So we're going to do a synopsis of his explanation of this, par- of this uh, teaching and a, and, a, and spiced with some of his grandson's teachings, the Tzemach Tzedek. In any case, um, the idea is as follows. The Torah has been given to the Jewish people. And Torah is not just a set of rules and obligations of how we live. Torah is a means to bond with God. The Jewish people stu- just stood at Har Sinai. And they experienced the giving of the Torah not just as commandments, dry commandments of how to live, we spoke about this last week. Every time God com- communicated a commandment, they actually expired from ecstasy and bliss, from the experience of melting into God's light. And Hashem had to resurrect them. And God wants the Torah to maintain that element of union with God. The Zohar, 
meant, taught, says and that the mitzvahs are not just commandments. Mitzvah means connection. And the Zohar says that the mitzvahs, how many com- positive commandments do we have? 248 positive commandments. And they correspond to the 248 limbs of man. And they are also the 248 limbs of God. Every mitzvah is another one of God's limbs, meaning to say that God expresses Himself, invests Himself in the mitzvah, so that when we do the mitzvah, our limbs and His limbs, so to speak, merge and converge and we become unified with Hashem. That's the way God wants us to be a Jew. It's not about practicing Judaism, it's the experience of union with Hashem. Now, the problem over here is, how is that accomplished? How is it accomplished that a finite, limited creature, creation, especially a physical creation, inhabiting a physical world and a physical body, can unify, join, and become one with God Himself? How is that possible? That's not, it, it, it's, it's an impossible thing. How can that, how can that, who can bridge this infinite gap and unify these two absolutely um, um, different, as different as can be, so to speak, God, who has no definitions and no limitations, infinite, true, absolute, with a human being who is so limited, finite, temporary, fickle, and small. How can the two join and unify together? That is the secret what Hashem is telling Moshe Rabbeinu now. Here is where you, Moshe, are going to come into play the role. Here is your job, Moshe, to enable the Jewish people to experience the Eibishter, to be able to experience God. is what Hashem is charging Moshe Rabbeinu, the leader of the Jewish people. That communicator of Torah to the world. That Moshe is going to have the monumental task not just for his generation, but the soul of Moshe Rabbeinu is going to do this for all of time, to the end of time. He's going to infuse and connect the Jewish people to God that their experience of Torah and mitzvahs should be divine and that they should, they should, their connection to Hashem should be real and something that they can experience. The godliness of the mitzvah, not just the mitzvah. Well, they should have a deep and real connection with Hashem. And that's the job of Moshe, Moshe's neshama as a whole, and Moshe Rabbeinu as he is incarnated, Moshe's neshamas, into the souls of very few tzaddikim throughout the generations, in which enable the Jewish people to bond with God. The art tzaddikim that God plants, sometimes one or two tzaddikim in a generation, who their avoda is to enable, that they have Moshe Rabbeinu's Neshama inside of them, a piece of Moshe inside of them. As the Zohar says, Ispashtusa de Moshe bechol dara vidara. There is an expansion of Moshe Rabbeinu in every generation. It's that quintessential tzaddik, that being who has the ability to connect uh, limited, finite human beings with God. In other words, as he's going to explain, making God real. Because Hashem, being that He has no definitions, nothing that we can wrap our minds and understand, so therefore it remains an abstraction, it remains distant, it remains removed outside of our experience. The idea of Moshe Rabbeinu is to make God real in your neshama. When Moshe Rabbeinu does that, then he can accomplish, what is going to be the ultimate accomplishment? The accomplishment is that the Jewish people's observance throughout history is going to be a desirable observance. First of all, we're going to stay our course. We're not going to get farblungit. We're not going to get lost somewhere. 
Number two, our observance of mitzvahs are going to be done in the, with the right intention, with the right purity of mind, and a level of connection. And that's the meaning of Shanim Yavoit, six years you should work. So we're not just dealing with a particular commandment about a Jewish slave serving for six years. The Jewish slave is referring to the Jewish people as we are servants of God. We are the servants of God in this world. For how long is this task going to last? This work, how long is the job going to be done of the Jewish people working? What's the work? The work is Torah and mitzvahs. Mitzvah observance, it's for six millennia. And that's the Sheishanam Yavid. Six years you should work. He should work, referring to all the Jewish people that are called the servant of Hashem. How long do we work for six millennia? Ubashviyas, and in the seventh millennium, which is coming up pretty close, as we're already more than three quarters into the, close, into the sixth millennium, almost by the seventh millennium, as Shabbos comes to the world. Then Ubashviyas, in the seventh millennium, Yetzei Lachavshi, we will go out to freedom. Lachavshi means freed from observance of mitzvahs. Because as the sages say clearly that after, not after the coming of Mashiach, but in the, sixth, in the seventh millennium when it becomes Shabbos in the world. That's not the days of Mashiach. Mashiach is in the sixth millennium. Could have happened already a few hundred years ago. It hasn't happened yet, there's no explanation for that. But when Mashiach comes, as we spoke many times, we are going to be, we are going to continue observance of mitzvahs. Quite on the contrary, when Mashiach comes, we're going to be observing the mitzvahs in their perfect fashion, in the perfect way. But when it reaches the seventh millennium, the world is going to experience such a such an a elevation. There is going to be such a powerful infusion of godly revelation, an expansion of divine consciousness in the world, to a point where there won't be any more observance of mitzvahs, because we will reach the point of Yaim Shakula Shabbos Emenucha, there will be a resting state. A resting state comes from what is the the lack it says that in today's days, until Mashiach comes, the sages tell us, the scholars never have any, any rest because we're constantly fluctuating up and down as we're trying to get closer, as we get closer, and then we, 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 we move back a step or two, and then we get closer again. There's a constant movement. And our search for godliness, for connection, our quest to connect can always go deeper and deeper and deeper. But when once Mashiach comes and Hashem is completely revealed in the world, then there's going to come a state after the, I'm sorry, when Shabbos comes, there's going to be a state of absolute tranquility. And that's what the Pasuk means. Ubashvias in the seventh millennium. Yetzel lachafshi, the Jewish people, the servant, the Eved Ivri, the Jew, the servant, will go out to freedom from mitzvahs. Chinam means without observance from mitzvahs. How will we accomplish this job? That Sheishanim Yavoy, that our mitzvah observance should be correct, should be in the right manner, that it should lead us to the seventh millennium of Yetzel Lachavshi Chinam. For that, Moshe Rabbeinu is going to play a pivotal role in infusing into the Jewish people the ability to be able to bond with God. That the mitzvah observance should be a desirable observance. So, what does that mean? So, he bases an interesting idea. And that is a Pasuk in Yirmiyahu. In Yirmiyahu, in Jeremiah, it says, in Perek Lamed Beis, chapter 30, no, Perek, 
Perak Laman Aleph, chapter 31. Pasik Chavav. It says, Days are coming is the word of God. Vizarati as base Yisrael, I'm going to plant the Jewish people. There's base Yehuda and the, and, the, and the family of, and the household of Yehuda. Zera Adam with the seed of man. Vizera Behema and the seed of animal. Okay? It's a prophecy of the future. God says, I'm going to plant into the Jewish people the seed of man and the seed of animal. It's referring to the two types of neshamas, two types of souls that exist. If we were to look at all Jewish souls, we can divide them into two categories. There is type A and there's type B. Type A, A stands for Adam, Adam. These are souls that are called Zera Adam. They are seed of man. They are on the human level. And then there's another kind of soul. It's called Zera Behema. Now I'm calling it type B, B for Behema. Okay? Which means animal soul. Now this is not to be confused with a general concept for anybody that studied the Tanya or anybody that studied many other works of Jewish mysticism is familiar with the concept that there are two souls in a human being. One of them is our godly, transcendental, more spiritual soul that is constantly driving us to have a connection to, 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 to that which, to, to, to Hashem, to learn Torah, do mitzvahs, to connect to God. And then we also have a more immediate animal drive that is looking for self-fulfillment and physical pleasure and a physical uh, um, um, gratification. And it's a struggle in each and every one of us between our nefesh kiss, between our godly soul and our animal soul. That's not what we're talking about now. When we mention seed of animal, we're not talking about an unholy soul that comes from the klipa, that comes from the dark forces, which is usually what we talk about when we say nefesh ha the nefesh of the animal. What we're talking about over here are two super holy souls. We're talking about pure nefesh kiss. We're talking about the godly soul. But within godly soul itself that we all possess, that every neshama is a chelek alakayim and mal mamash, literally a piece from God from above, there are two categories in, in godly souls. There are a few very unique super mega souls that are called human souls. And the, even as the, and the, and the Alter Eben is, in a Sefer says, in the Torah Ur, says that today, that there are only very few souls, even in the early generations, which were in that level called the soul of man. Why? They're in a human state, meaning they are purely divine. Their consciousness, their natural consciousness is divine consciousness. Meaning, as we're going to see soon, God is absolutely real to them and the only reality. They do not get distracted by anything. To them, everything is transparent. They only see Hashem in all of existence. The secret of these souls are that they, what we call them human, is they have what we call das. A human being has das. Das means knowledge, but das means powerful awareness. They have a very strong connection to the reality, to the MS of Hashem. Then there's a different type of soul called animal. And he says those are most of the souls in our generations. And he's talking 250 years ago. But again, as he mentioned earlier, and definitely today's days, but even before he says, because the souls that are called Adam were, only, were even few in the early generations. What does it mean they're animal? They're animal in the sense is that they are of the created reality. 
Meaning, even though we know that every nisham is a spark of God, ultimately every nisham emanates as a piece of God Himself. But there is a difference between two types of souls. There are souls that retain that divinity, that godly, that godly state. They don't change. When they come down, they come down from that pure world of the divine. In Hasidus it's called the first of the four worlds, which is called the world of emanation. It's a world that is one with God. These neshamas are plucked from that state. They descend into a physical body and their godly awareness is not diminished in that descent. So as they are up there, that's how they come down here. And they retain that same sense of, 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 of Hashem Achad, of God's truth. But then there are all the rest of the neshamas that go through a metamorphosis. They begin as a spark of Hashem, but then when they come down, not only when they come down in a body, way before they come down in a body, for thousands of years, when they live in heaven, they're still living in animal consciousness because they're existing as an animal, meaning they're lacking the sharp awareness of Ein Od Malvado, that there's nothing but Hashem. To them, the creation is very real. God is the creator of the creation. But the creation is of a substance. The world is very real. Hashem is a concept. And that's the problem we all live in and all struggle with. God to us is a concept. It's an idea. We learn, we get excited about it. We can even get passionate about it. But at the end of the day, it remains an idea. It's not as real to us as as worldly things, as money. It's not as real to us as food. It's not as real to us as our family. It's not as real to us as all the other physical material things that, 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 that are so real because it's, 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 it's mamish our reality. God is a distant entity. Now, these neshamas are holy. They have a muna. A muna everybody has. All neshamas have a muna. Amuna, however, he explains a very unique idea. Amuna is distant. Amuna is makif. Meaning Amuna doesn't permeate you in your inside. Amuna doesn't mean chas v'shalom, God forbid. You say, you know, there's a lack of Amuna in this person. To say that what? That these neshamas are lacking in their faith in God. These souls will be willing if it comes to a point where they have to choose between going on living in their life we're disconnecting from God completely, like Jews have been faced, faced throughout history with the big challenge of giving up their lives or accepting some other religion or whatever. So Jews were willing to go into the fire, they were willing to, be, to, 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 to give their lives up. Amun is very powerful. But when it comes to day-to-day decisions, even when you have Amuna, the Amuna can be hovering above you. The sages tell us an interesting thing. We spoke about it many times at a class. A thief when he's breaking into a, into, a, into a building, when he's going to commit a robbery, and he's climbing up and he's hanging from a window, and he's ready to go in and break into a house, he stops for a moment and offers a little prayer to God to make him successful in his task. Now, I think we can all identify with the thief. Um, maybe it's not thievery. But if we're doing something that maybe we shouldn't do and we don't want anybody to know about it, sometimes we pray to God to help us that no, we shouldn't get caught. That's a frightening thought. You're praying to God. 
you know that what? Obviously, God dis- disapproves of it. Now, you can't say that the thief doesn't have a munah, because who is he trying to impress? He's alone. There's no one to impress. And it's a crucial moment. Every moment that he's there, is, is, he's, he's putting his life on the line, right? He can get caught. And so, but he stops and he prays. So he has a whole lot of amuna. He has a amuna that God created the world. He has a amuna that God is in control. He has a amuna that his success and failure is dependent on God. He has a amuna that Hashem is looking at him right now and listens to him. All this is part of his amuna, or else he would be wasting his time praying. And yet, he goes ahead and does an act that is totally contradictory to what he believes in because God obviously... And no one makes the mistake or thinks that stealing is okay. It's like one of these sins that you can't claim, I thought it's okay, you're allowed to steal. So then... Obviously, he knows it's wrong, he's doing it anyways. So why is that? Because emuna hovers. It's meaning, emuna, why? Emuna is emanating from a place so deep inside of you that it's too deep. So it's not affecting so much your, 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 your plane of operation. The place where you operate, your reality where you're working in day-to-day, in your daily, daily self, that, that the emuna isn't there, so to speak. And that's the problem with emuna. So these, it's good, we all have Amunah, but it's not enough to have Amunah. The Avodah, what we have to do is we have to have, besides Amunah, it's called Das. Das means you know you don't only believe. It says in the Pasuk, Da SLOK of Vicha. Know the God of your father. The you and serve him, believe Shalem in a complete heart. Know Hashem. Now, what does it mean knowing? So knowing doesn't mean over here philosophy, theology, philosophical explanations, ideas. It's not intellect in terms of just understanding. What we're talking about is that, of course, it's developed through understanding and through learning. But the idea is that as a result of all of that, you connect, you understand that there there is a God who creates the world. And that... And the Hashem becomes something that it becomes tangible, like visible. Like you see. When you see something, it becomes very real to you. Das means to have God in, in front of you as if you can physically, literally see Him with your physical eyes. And then Hashem is very real. And then in a case like that, you cannot do something that is against God's will. The Nishamas that are on a level of Adam, they're on a level of man, they have das, intrinsic natural das. They don't have to work on having das. They're born. This is their only reality. So Hashem is their absolute reality. They can visualize all the time. They don't have to visualize it. They see it literally. How all of existence, all of creation, all of what we see as when I'm seeing the table, the chair, the sky, the earth, it's not that. It's just an expression of God. They can mamish see Hashem in the clouds. They see Hashem in the sky. They see Hashem in the stars. The holy Reb Zusha one time went outside and he looked up at the sky and he saw that it was a clear night and he saw the stars. And suddenly such a powerful fear of God overtook him that he became sick. He was hemorrhaging for a few days because of the fear that suddenly took him. Now what happened? He knew, when he looked, he saw Hashem in the stars. He didn't just see, he saw God's majesty. He didn't see stars. We also can look outside and look at the stars, and know that, oh wow, what a beautiful God who created this. It's a different if you know that Hashem created the stars, or you can see Hashem in the stars. He saw, right? And then, 
when you're living in that consciousness, then everything is divine. And sin is out of the question. Just like we have a natural, a natural um, aversion to do anything that is going to hurt our bodies, especially if it's very clean, even if it's, tempt- even if it's a temptation. You're not going to go to your, the place and take, I mean, a normal person or less person or whatever is in, a, is in a crazy situation. But a normal person is not going to go and take, pop a couple of cyanide pills. Even if they're chocolate-coated, or even if they have good, delicious Swiss milk chocolate coated on it. And even if you're going to say, you know what, I'm just going to lick around because I want the chocolate. Because you know that this is poison. You're not going to do it. In the same way, people that are living in this consciousness cannot do something. They don't even entertain the thought of doing something that's against God's will. More than that. In all of their physical activities, everything they're doing has godly content. There's no such a thing as just gnashing just because if there's nothing godly to it, they cannot do it because it's just not a reality. A person who lived this way, who was in this, it says in Hasidus, a person who's an example of this powerful, tangible awareness of God, that God is his reality, was Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef HaTzadik, Joseph is unique, is that Yosef was the viceroy of Egypt. Right? So he's, he's, he, he was involved in the day-to-day running of a country all the time. Of the most uh, uh, powerful uh, country at that time, ancient Egypt. We can imagine what kind of day Yosef had. All day long he had meeting after meeting with officials, with governors, with... Uh, Lawmakers with judges, with I mean, all day long he's in charge over everything, right? You can imagine he's busy nonstop. Yet it says that Yosef did not divert his attention for one second from Shavisi Hashem Lenegdi Samit from Hashem. He was in a constant state of dvekus. That's what shocked. That why do you think the brothers didn't recognize Yosef? They didn't recognize him because they were connected to Hashem all the day time. Here they see. But they lived very secluded from worldly activities and worldly doings. They lived as shepherds. So then they were able to be in, constantly in a state of dvekus, in a state of connection to God. But they couldn't understand. For them it would be absolute. They were not such a high neshama. Actually it says that the, the, even the neshvatim, their souls were of the kind called seed of animal, not seed of man. So they couldn't even imagine a human being who's actually engaged and involved in material, physical things, and at the same time, should not get distracted. Imagine someone who is the, who is the minister, who is the uh, defense secretary. He's in the cabinet. Someone who has such a serious obligation upon him all the time. The security of the United States is on his, on his, on his shoulders. So you imagine how much concentration he needs to put in into the work that he or she does. Tremendous amount. It's such a responsibility. Phenomenal responsibility. How can someone at that time be completely focused on spirituality and on godliness at the same time? It's impossible. Can't do it. So how was Yosef able to do it? And the answer is when a person is living, his, his soul is in a different plane in a different reality, in which he sees that creation doesn't exist for one second without God being it into existence every second. 
So Pharaoh and the army and the, the throne and all these officials and everything that's going on in the palace is right now created from absolute nothing into beingness. So how, how can these things... And the creator and the master of all of creation, all of existence is here right now looking at me and I'm looking at him. So how in the world... Why should he get... It? Meaning he recognizes that it's all so... So, so, so meaningless, utterly meaningless in compared to the truth and the MS of God. That was Yosef's reality. This is the example. And why is it called the seed of man versus the seed of animal? The difference between a man and an animal is not in information. The difference is of how real that information impacts you. For instance... If you see on the floor somewhere a spill of hundred dollar bills, and they're all spilled out on the floor, it's especially if it's in a public, if it's in a place where it's just out in the middle of them, you'd run over and pick it up, and you have, <laughs> did pretty well. I mean, if you if there's a way to find who the owner is, if you're a good person and you try to find the owner, but if it's again Hefker and there's no owner to it, so of course. You got $10,000 in cash. You'd run and pick it up. How about if there is two or three little babies that are crawling in front of uh, around near the $100 bills? And you want to run and grab all of it. But you'd be running. You'd be careful. You're not going to step on these little babies. Because God forbid, you can hurt the children. It's very real to you that there is, an, that there is a child there. And, you, and therefore, I can't hurt this person. I can't just trample on it, even if I want the money, because there's a child. So you, there's, there's, I can't, can't do that. What happens if there is a few little babies and you take a few horses and you put um, food down in front of the horses? So the horses are just going for the food. If there's little babies, and I'm not saying, you know, if it's, even if the, even if the babies that are, you're seeing are not babies, human babies, even if it's, uh, I don't know, birds or chickens or whatever, you're not going to squish an animal to get them. You know, be careful because it's, there's something alive there. You have the reality. It's real to you that there's somebody, there's a living being over here that I can't crush and destroy just because I'm excited to get something. But an animal doesn't do that. Why? The animal can trample on anything because it's lacking the das. It's lacking the... Now, it's not that he doesn't have the information. The animal sees the, the baby. The animal sees... The, the whatever. But it doesn't make a difference. Right now, the only thing that is real to the animal is the straw, the food, or whatever it is. That means it's lacking das. And here is the, and this is how it applies to nishamas. There are souls that inherently are godly souls. They're from a world where the abishter is real, is the reality. And therefore, to them, God is absolute real. The world is a product, is, it, is an expression of Hashem's desire and will. So the worlds are insignificant in comparison to Hashem Himself, to God. And they feel it, and they feel it in their kishkas, they feel it in their bones, they feel it in every fiber of their being, being and they can't ignore that truth. But then, the animal souls are the neshamas, as we said, who are living in the realm of creation. Hashem is... A, is a concept, is an idea, which we can understand, we can speculate, we can debate. 
I'm even convinced I have power, I have, I have Amuna, and I know he's real, and I even understand that I can give all kinds of classes and shiurim about the reality of God, but what? It's still a distant element. That's not, it's not my reality. It's not who I am. It's not, it's not, it's not, what, I'm, it's not, it's not what I sense as, the, as just the truth of the reality of existence. It's not that way. These are two types of neshamas. They're also called, in davening we say these two categories of souls, they're called imkebanim, imkaavadim. If we're like sons or we're like servants. The neshamas that are on the level of the divine, on the level of what we call atzilos, those neshamas that are called adam, they're called banim, children. Because a child is a continuation of the father. The neshamas that go into creation and become creation-like, in which the creation gets a, has, they become in, impacted very strongly by the worldliness of the world, so to speak, they become finite, and the, and the finite reality, the world is concealing and obscuring God, those neshamas are called servants. And they have to overcome that in order to be able to connect to Hashem. When Hashem created the human being, Hashem also said, Nase Adam, let us create man. Bitsalmenu in our form. Kidmuseinu in our image. What does God mean when He says, let's create man in our form, in our image? This too is talking about these two types of souls. The souls that are in a purely divine state, those souls are called bitsalmenu in God's form. Because they retain the godly form. Other souls are kidmuseinu, they are in an image of God. Or the word of kidmuseinu also comes from the word dimyon. Dimyon means imagination. Which means that to these souls, when, they, when they're learning about God, God is an imagination. They're imagining godliness. But it's not that they're connecting to the truth and the MS of God, it's an imagination. So what do you do? If we have this great barrier, and it's inherent in who we are as souls, the lack of our ability to experience the MS and the truth of God, as Hashem being truth, and to that we have non-stop distractions. Especially in today's world, where we're living in a world where we have non-stop distractions. All day long, from texts and whatsapps and emails. This thing doesn't stop clocking and cup the whole day. Which we don't have the humility to be able to really connect to a certain truth. Because all day long, even when we're praying, we're still busy with this. With, with. So what happens? What's the hope for us that God should be real in our lives? MS, true. For that, the Abishter gave us Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu's power of his neshama is Moshe Rabbeinu is called the, the um, Roan Nemon. He's called a faithful shepherd. Now what is the meaning of a faithful shepherd? It has three interpretations. Interpretation number one means faithful shepherd. means He's a, he's a shepherd that's faithful. You know he's going to take care of his sheep all the time. There's another meaning to Roan Nemon. Or Re, the Zohar refers to him as Reya Mehemna. Same idea of Roan Nemon, but Reya Mehemna means he shepherds us with faith. That means he, nur- he nurtures us with faith. 
There are seven tzaddikim who are called the shepherds of the Jewish people. Seven tzaddikim. Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov. Moshe is one of these seven tzaddikim. Avram nurtures us with love. Yitzchak nurtures us with fear, with awe. Yaakov nurtures us with Torah or with the ability of compassion, divine compassion. What does Moshe Rabbeinu give us? He gives us faith. That's the second meaning. He, he nurtures us with faith. But there is a third meaning, and this is the main meaning, this is the deepest meaning of Reya Mehemna. Not he nurtures us with faith, but Reya Mehemna, he nurtures the faith. What does he mean he nurtures the faith? He takes the faith that we all have, we all have intrinsically faith, but the faith that's in us, as we spoke earlier, is distant, it's far, and it doesn't have a, a, a naturally an impact on our day-to-day momentary decisions because sometimes our world and the physicality of this world and the pleasures of the world, the world is so concrete and God is so distant and so far. So the amuna is too distant. It's not internalized. What Moshe Rabbeinu does is he nurtures the faith, meaning he brings the faith down into you, that it becomes like food that becomes internalized, it goes into your cells, it nurtures every part of your consciousness. That that God that you believe in is real. So real that that's, that you can't, you can't divert your attention for a moment. And everything you do, it's always what does Hashem want. You always see Hashem in, 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 every, in every existence. In, in, every, in every story, in every event. I was just reading, there was this woman, um, she's a shlucha, a Chabad uh, emissary in England, in a college. She wrote that amazing story of a miracle story. She was diagnosed with cancer. And then a whole amazing story that a few weeks later, it was, it was, uh, she was told that she was misdiagnosed or basically whatever it was disappeared. But she writes that when she left the hospital, and she walked out on the street. She was describing her feelings. Of course, she was like the whole world came crashing now. But she describes it when she looked at the trees. The first time in her life, she didn't see just trees. She saw God in the trees. It's like such, it's like, Hashem is everywhere. But because of the ego, because of the self-absorption that we're absorbed in ourselves, so ask any child, where is Hashem? Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. Everybody knows that He's there, up, up, down, down. We all know that. But we know, do we know? Do we see Him in the trees? Do we see Him in every cloud? Do we hear Him? Do we see Him in every child's face or in every human face? Do we see Him in, every, in, every, in everything? In the chirping of the, of the birds or the flutter of the, of the butterfly? Do we see God? It's like when there's a certain shake-up in a human being and suddenly it's like, wow. But we don't want, God forbid, to have to have such a, a negative shake-up to put us in that reality. So Moshe Rabbeinu was in charge of that ability to be able to nurture the faith, to nurture godliness, give us the das. Moshe Rabbeinu is, the, is that channel of das. He is, according to Kabbalah, Moshe is rooted in the das elian, the supernal das. He channels das into the neshamas. He's not giving you more information, but when you come into the presence of the tzaddik, suddenly that very God that you always believed in and always heard about it becomes real. That's Moshe Rabbeinu's power. To make it real. To make Hashem so real. 
Now the Jewish people stood in that state where they were able to see Hashem everywhere. When they came to Har Sinai and all the skies opened up and God spoke, it says they heard, they saw the sounds. They sighted the sounds. And as we discussed in earlier classes, what it means is that God, who is usually something that we hear about, He's a concept, He's an idea, like when a person hears the world we see, God is something we hear about. When Mashiach, when they stood at Har Sinai, suddenly their reality, their whole reality changed. What we usually hear about, which is God, became the tangible truth. And the world, which is something that we usually see, that's our concrete reality, faded away as something that we only hear about. They only heard that there is a world, that there is a physical life. But to them, the only truth was God. That was when we stood at Har Sinai. But the moment Har Sinai ended, we went back to our regular selves. Into a world where the Gashmias, the material is real, and the spiritual and the godly is distant, removed. So Moshe Rabbeinu was in charge of giving the Jewish people that das. The das in God. That's why it says, Moshe Rabbeinu is the first redeemer, and Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be the final redeemer. That's what the Medrash says. Goel Rishon v'goel Achron. What does it mean, redemption? When, the Jewish, when Moshe came to the Jewish people in Egypt, it says, the first time he meets them, it says, Vayamein ha'am, the people believed. They had faith. That's before they hung out with Moshe too. It was just when he met them the first time. When Moshe comes down back to them the second time, in Parshas Ve'era, he speaks to them, and he tells them, You will know that I am God. This is what we have to change. It has to stop being a muna, faith. It has to become reality. Hashem is reality. What's your first reaction? The first reaction. God forbid you come home, you found out you were away for a week, and you found out that there was a break-in in the house. What's the first natural reaction? Is it to check the alarm system? Or is it to check the mezuzah? Now everybody got into the custom today of checking the mezuzah, which is a good thing. But is that a second thought? Or is that the first thought? The question is, what's your reality? If Torah and mitzvahs, God is your reality, the first thing you want to check is, well, I have a shmirah. The house has a shmirah, has a, I have to check the mezuzah, is this kosher or not. But the reason why it's a second thought, it's first like how did the guy get in, like what's with, the, what's with my alarm system, what's with this, what's with that, is because the physical, material, natural causes is more real to us than Hashem. Moshe needs, Moshe's neshama is the one that changes that. He infuses in each and every one of us that God is real, Torah and mitzvahs is real. This is truth, this is real. So the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu is the first redeemer, he's also the final redeemer. Because again, the, when Jews were in Golos, it means that they were stuck in a very, very, very physical entrapment in Egypt. They were very, very stuck, entrenched in materialistic life. And then what happened was, when Moshe came to them, and he spoke to them, suddenly they started having yidas, and when they went out of Egypt, the ultimate experience of Das was when they came to Har Sinai. And they saw. They saw Ein Old Movado. They saw how Hashem is the truth of truth. He's the truth of everything. When Mashiach will come, 
yes to all of us in our generation. People that are so, 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 so narrow. We're so limited in our, spirit, in our sense of spirituality. We're so physical. Yet, what's going to happen when Mashiach is going to come? It's not necessarily that we're going to get new insight. It's not like you're going to, you're going to get like, oh, wow, you learned the secrets of the Torah. That too. That's all later. The first, diff- the first thing that's going to happen when Mashiach comes is that there's suddenly going to be a reality switch. Suddenly everything is going to, just the reality, suddenly we're going to see the trees like the trees are meant to see. You're going to see everything as God, as the, and everything you always knew. It's not like you didn't know this. Oh yeah. But now it's real. It's real. A mitzvah is really a connection to the infinite. It's real. You feel it. You sense it. It's not stama, you know, a thing. That's, that's why Moshe Rabbeinu is the ultimate redeemer. Because Moshe is the Das. He's got to be there, or else there's no Mashiach. Without Das, you have no Mashiach. What's Mashiach? We enter into a divine, into a godly world, in which God, we experience truth, the concealments and the blockages of the world fade away. It's still the same world. Nothing changes. But, the, but the, how, we see, how we define the world, how we see, what we see is it's a different reality. Once Mashiach comes. So Moshe is the future redeemer. That's why in davening, here's an amazing thing. In the Shema, we say, the second portion of the Shema, Moshe Rabbeinu was the one speaking to the Jewish people. And he says, im It will be when you listen, and you'll, what's the lash there? I'm sorry. And then it says, Moshe says, V'nasati Esev, God says, if you will do my mitzvahs, I will give grass, besatcha in your field, lebehemtcha to your animals. So every element of Torah has multiple layers. So this is so great. This is so good. This is so sweet. Because think about it. Simply it means you're going to be all behave yourself. I'm going to give a lot of grass. Your animals are going to have pasture. The cows, the sheep, everybody's going to be happy. It's going to be wonderful. What is the deeper meaning? First of all, it should have said that God is going to give grass. Because Moshe is speaking here. He should have said, Hashem That Hashem is going to give Esev, grass, Besatcha in your field. What does it mean, Vinasati, I will give? And the answer is, the Balatanya says, in the Alter Rebbe says, Vinasati, I will give. Moshe says, I am the one who is giving Esev, grass, Lebehemtacha to all the animals. We're not talking about animals, cows. We're talking about all of us that are called behema, in this sense that we're lacking the das. Moshe says, I'm going to das you with grass. I'm going to give you the grass of the Asev. Asev is the das. Why is Asev grass? Why is Asev the das? The absorption of this das. Why is it the das nutrients? Because the word Asev, you have an ayin and a bays, first an ayin, and then at the end you have a bays, and a shin in the middle. So we know that Ayin Beis is the name of Hashem, the name of 72 letters. The highest name of God is the name of 72 letters. God has four different names, Shem Ayin Beis, which really, I mentioned that we don't have time really today in the class to discuss it all, but just very briefly, the Yutke Vavke, the Tetragrammaton, is equals 26. Everybody's familiar with Gematria, it equals 26. But... Sometimes it has, we, we, we ascribe other numbers to it because what we count is what we call the miloi. Miloi are the hidden letters 
that you don't see when you're writing it, but when you speak out the letter, then you hear the other letters that are hidden in it. Like a lamid is not just a lamid, it's lamid mem dalid. So a yud has a vav and a dalid, and so on. So when you fill God's names with milui, depending on how you fill it, Hashem's name can be filled with, three, with four different types of fillings, which the Kabbalists describe. And depending on which letters you use to fill it, it will come out to different numbers. The highest one is the name of 72. And we know, here's an interesting idea. The, the name 72 is related to Chachma, the attribute of wisdom. Now Chachma is where vision comes from. As we the sages say, Ezehu Chacham, what is called a Chacham? What is a wise man? Who is a wise man? Haroe Esanola, the one who can see what is forthcoming. According to the Hasidic interpretation, what does it mean to see what is coming, what is being born? Who is a Chacham? One who can not only understand that God creates the world, one who can see how all of existence is being born out of God's will every second. Imagine living in that reality where you see every second how everything is manifesting from nothingness to something. Every moment, you see it with your eyes. So that's called Chachma. Chachma is when you have that vision, crystal vision. From Chachma comes Das. If you have the Chachma, if you see, if you see something, then you really, then it's very real to you. If you only hear about something from somebody, then yeah. Yeah, no, you know, it's not, it doesn't scare you, it doesn't excite you. When you, when you see it, say seeing is believing, when you see something, it's very real. So the name of 72 is the, is the name of God when God manifests in Chachma, it's Ayan Beis. That's why if you want to give Das to the animal, to the, all the Nishamas that are called Behema, which are all of our souls, what is the, where do you have to take that Das from? Where does the das come from? It comes from the name of 72. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, Venasati, I will give Asev. Asev is I and Bez, but there's a shin in the middle. What's the shin in the middle of the word Asev? Because the shin has three heads. And those three heads represent the three vavim, three vavs, with a, with a, with, with a, with a bottom block that's holding it together. The three vavs are the three midos. Chesed, Gevura, Teferis, the three main midos. Now what does that mean in our lives? These are the three main emotions. Because what happens when you have Das? What happens when you have it? When God is real to you, what happens next? Automatically, God becomes something that you can get excited about. If it's a concept, it's a concept. But if Hashem is real, if you have the Das, then what does it do? It, suddenly, you have love to Hashem, you have awe of God, you feel compassion for your soul for being disconnected so many times. So what is the secret for the shin, for the three midos? Chesed, Gevurah, Teferis. The shin actually stands for Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, the three um, um, fathers of the Jewish people. It's Ayin Beis, the name of Ayin Beis. And that's Asev. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I am giving Asev grass for all the Jewish souls that are called behema, Moshe is the one who feeds them the grass, the ayin, beis, shin, he gives into our neshama. And what does he say? Besatcha in your field. What does he mean by the field? And here's a gavaldic, a Kabbalistic idea. What is the idea of the field? You see, the main difference we said before between the neshamas who have godly consciousness naturally and those who need to receive it from Moshe Rabbeinu, 
the man souls and the animal souls, the two levels of neshamas, are the man souls, as we spoke earlier, they come from the world of Atsilas, the world of emanation. They're, 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 like a, they're like Hashem's limbs. They're a part of God. In the world of Atsilas, where everything is godly. What separates between the world of Atsilas and the world of the lower three worlds, Bria, Yetzir, and Asiya, the worlds of creation? What separates between these two worlds is the, the final attribute of the ten attributes, Malchus. Malchus is called attribute of divine kingship. That serves as a massive filter. It holds back God's truth from overflowing into the creation. You see, without Malchus, without this massive filter holding back the light, then Hashem's truth would be felt so strong within the creation that we couldn't possibly experience ourselves as creations and we wouldn't have free choice because we would be just robots. We would just be in a godly state all along. So Malchus, because Hashem wants to be a king and a king means he has subjects and those subjects are his servants. So Malchus serves as the barrier holding back God's light from being revealed to the creations. So Malchus is the responsible for all the souls that are called animals. Why are they called animals? Because they come from Malchus, they come from Shekhinah. Then other neshamas come from above the world of Malchus, they come from higher. That's why they're called human, Adam. The souls that are called Behema, because they come from Malchus. So what does Moshe Rabbeinu have to do? What he does is, V'nasati Esav, Bisadcha, I give, I'm the one who's going to give grass, to the animals who are weird, who are all stemming from satcha, the field. Malchus is called the field in Kabbalah. As we say many times, you've ever read about the idea of chakal tapuchen kadishin, the orchard, the apple orchard. Malchus is called the field. So Moshe is saying, I'm from above the field. Moshe is from above the field. He's giving into the shechina, into Malchus. He's feeding Malchus with das so that Malchus can give it to all of its creatures, for all of its animals. It's interesting, you never thought about this. Why is Moshe called Ish Elohim? Simply he means a godly man. Uh, he's a godly man? He was a spiritual man, he was a holy man. Hear what Hasidus does. The reason why Moshe is called Ish Elohim, he's the husband for the name of Elohim. Ish means he's ma- he is the husband. What does that mean? Elohim is the Shekhinah. Elohim is Malchus. It's called the name of Elohim. In Elohim, godliness is very narrow. Godliness is very, very limited. Because Elohim has to create this, this dark world. So Elohim itself is already a very constricted level of the divine. Moshe is above Elohim. And he's Ish Elohim. So he is the one who gives Asev. He channels down the name of 72 with the three Midos, Chesed, Gevur, Etaferes, into Malchus, into the Shekhinah, so that the creatures that are receiving from Malchus, which are all the Behemoths, which are all the souls, that are all the products, they're all called Avadim servants or Behema, they're all eating this, this grass. And by eating that, what is that doing? That That's giving them the, the Das in God. Now, interesting, Moshe doesn't only feed souls, he also feeds the angels. Because the angels are also stuck. They're also called animals. Because when we try to say, oh, you know, we call someone an animal, it's like, it's like insulting. But the angels are also called behemoth. As we say in davening all the time, right? the angels are called oifanim, the holy beasts. 
So angels are also called animals. Why are they called animals? See, angels do have a very, very strong awareness in the truth of God. They're not in physical bodies. So they're in a very pure state. But the problem that they have is that their awareness of God is only that God is the king of the universe. They don't have any understanding as God or any das in Hashem's transcendental, infinite self that is endlessly above creating the worlds. You see, God doesn't even have creation on His resume because the creation is so unimportant for an infinite, endless being. Creation is not, is, is not to Hashem, it's very insignificant. As it says in the Lashon and Hasidus, Lo yizehu elokus the main element of God is not that He creates worlds. The worlds are actually, He has to hide Himself to create worlds. So it comes out according to that, the Malachim, however, their highest understanding and experience of Hashem, of the Divine, is only in Hashem's external, external self as a creator. That's called Malchus, Hashem's attribute of kingship, which is only called Hashem's name. They have no sense of Hashem's true power and Hashem's true greatness. That's why the Malachim are also called, they're also called Behema. They're also called animal. Moshe Rabbeinu gives, Asev gives godly awareness to everybody, to the angels, to the Nishamas. And here is a, such a beautiful thought. Where does this all happen? Where do we get our grass, so to speak, from Moshe? Where do we get our das? That happens during the portion of davening called Yotzer Or when we're talking about the angels and suddenly we're all singing suddenly we're surrounded by the millions of billions of Malachim and we're singing together with them and what do we say the Malachim are saying Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh three times Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh holy, holy, holy you know what that means when they're saying Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh what is the three times holy when they say three times holy, holy, holy it's at those three pronunciations that they're channeling down the das into their souls, into the angels. They're receiving the das of Hashem during the... Why? Because the word kadosh is, comes from two words. Kodesh, which is spelled kuf dalit shin, without a vav. Kodesh means holy. And then there's an added vav. So what, what, what does it mean? Kadosh with a vav. And the idea is as follows. It's going to be very brief. Kodesh, without a vav, the Zohar says, is referring to the transcendental energy of chachma, of wisdom. Where, where divine experience is at its sharpest. As we spoke earlier, chachma is a place of vision, where you see Hashem. That's called kodesh, without a vav. The three vavim, in each word kodesh, is to take that transcendental, infinite, unknowable light, and a vav, what does a vav do? A vav is a line down is a channel. Or even deeper than that, what's on top of a vav? A yud. And a vav is like a long, a long extension of a yud. A yud gets it. So what does it mean? Yud is chachma. Yud is kodesh. Unknowable. The vav, what does the vav do? The vav channels the chachma down. Three v- Bringing down the... So this is mamish. Let's think about it. Kodesh, kodesh, kodesh is... Kodesh is Chachma, that's the name of 72. What did we say earlier? What's, what's in, in Chachma? Chachma is the name of 72. 
So Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish is the name of 72 with the Shin. The Shin are the three Vavs. So when they're saying Kaddish, 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 they're reaching for the energy of 72. The reason they say it three times, you hear what's happening? Is this the, these are the three channels of the Vav, of the, of the Shin. To draw that down, that they should be able to, that, that which is beyond them, what does Kaddish mean? That which is beyond them, removed from them, should infuse them, should come down and become part of them. That's the whole idea of Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish. Bringing the Eberster down. Now why do we say three times? And it's interesting, we emphasize very strongly that we all say it together. Together, we say it by, especially when we say Kedusha on Shabbos. We say, Kesar Yitnu Lucha Hashem Yachad, together, up there and down here below. And the idea is an awesome idea. There are three main worlds in creation that are lacking the Das. There are three worlds that are lacking the Das. There is the material, physical world where we live in. Here is where we're really poor. We have no Das at all. Then there is a, a world above us, which is the world of angels, called Olam Ayatsira, the world of angels. Then there is a world above that called Olam Habriya, which is the world of souls. Not the enriched souls, the poor souls, the souls that are called animal, but yet they're higher than the Malachim. These three worlds compare, correspond to thought, speech, and action. The, the Nishamas are in a world of thought, the Malachim are in a world of speech, and we, enclosed in bodies, are in the world of action, the world of completion. When in order to bring the Das down, we have a dilemma. The Malachim can't bring the Das down unless we're the ones who bring it first. Why? Because you can't speak something before you think it. Nishamas are from God's thoughts. They're higher than God's speech. The Malachim are from Hashem's speech. So the Malachim can't draw down this divine illumination unless the Nishamas are doing it first. But there's another problem. We can't do it. Why can't we do it? Before the angels. Because once we came down into bodies, the angels are higher than us. We must receive the das through them. They need to receive it through us, and we need to receive it through them. In our source, we can get it before them. But when we're in bodies, we need to get it after them. So how do we reconcile all of this? The malachim together with the neshamis during davening say kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. And when we're saying kadosh together, we're infusing the asev, the das, the knowledge, the, the truth of God through all levels of existence until our bodies down here. That God can be absolute real in our lives. So now we'll go back to the Pasuk. The Elaha Mishpatim, and these are the laws, is instructing Moshe Rabbeinu. God is instructing Moshe Rabbeinu now on his job. You Moshe Rabbeinu, the Elaha Mishpatim, these are the laws, Ashetasim Lifneim. Mishpatim laws. Also in Hebrew, we call them halachos. Mishpatim are halacha. What does the word halacha mean? Halacha means to walk, to go. Ve'ela mishpatim, these are the laws, meaning these are the channels in which ashetasim lefneim, you're going to cause the divine light to walk down towards them, to channel down through all the worlds. Ashetasim, your job is lefneim. You have to bring it in, because what's the whole problem we said earlier? We all have faith. But faith is not internal. It's above us. It's hovering above. We need to internalize it. So the Eilah HaMishpatim and you, Moshe, Eilah HaMishpatim, these are the laws, these are the halachos. Ashetasim, you should place it, lifneihem, into their, to help them internalize godliness. Okay? Which tells us a fascinating thing. 
That when a person wants to experience godliness in prayer, when a person wants to experience divine in a manner that it's real, you need to get Moshe juice. You need to get Moshe's juice. You need to get Das. Where did Moshe put his Moshe Das juice? Where did he put it? In what? He put it into the halachos of the Torah. Sometimes a person says, I'm only into the spiritual stuff. I don't want to learn Shulchan Aruch. I don't want to learn Rambam. I don't want to learn laws. It's so dry and technical. Well, if you just want meditation and, and abstract stuff, you can learn and learn and learn and learn. It won't be real. You need to get Moshe's juice of Das. And those are in the halachos. And every halacha of the Torah, Moshe puts his Das. And that's what... By, 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 by learning and studying, you're internalizing these laws, they're becoming part of who you are. Then when you'll daven and you'll try to connect to God, it'll be real. You'll make it true. It's not just going to be imagination. It's not going to be fantasy. It's going to be a real connection. A connection that's coming out. When you will buy, or it's getting late, so we don't have time to really do this. I'm just going to say one quick idea so we can complete it. And therefore we're saying, Moshe, you have to acquire. What does that mean? It's talking about Moshe. We ask, why does it say in the singular? It should say, Kiyiknu, and they will acquire. Kisikna means you have to acquire. What does that mean, you have to acquire? See, here's the idea. It's very brief. The difference between, in, in, in sometimes we say about God, we say that God created the world. We also say that God purchased the world. In davening we say, Vekone hakol. He purchased everything. Or konei shamayim v'aretz. In Kiddush Lavana we say, Baruch Oseich, Baruch Yotzeich. Blessed is the one who made you. Baruch Yotzeich, blessed is the one who formed you. Baruch Borech, blessed is the one who created you. Baruch Konech, blessed is the one who acquired you. What's the difference between creating something and acquiring something? Purchasing something. When you create something, you're creating something new that didn't exist. When you're acquiring something, the thing you're acquiring existed already, but it was in a hidden state from you, because the guy had it in his, you know, he had it in his closet. The storekeeper had it in a box in the storage room. So if I bought myself a pair of sneakers, the sneakers are in existence, but it's hidden from me. What does it mean when I when I when I purchase it? So the guy goes in the back room, takes the box out brings it out, reveals it to me, and it's revealed to me. So I'm basically not creating something, I'm only taking something from a hidden state to a revealed state. And here is the idea. The reason why Moshe Rabbeinu was able to give us das into our souls, even though we're finite beings, how can we experience God who is infinite and real if we're finite? And the answer is because in our quintessence of soul of souls, in our very origins... We are one with the Ein Sof, one with God. That's way before we were created. It's who we really are, our souls. So what Moshe Rabbeinu needs to do in order to give us the Das is not create a new thing in us. He just has to connect us to our very quintessential source in God Himself. And that's the meaning of Kisikne. You need to acquire them, meaning you need to open them up to their hidden dimension. You have to acquire Eved. Those people that are in Eved, they're living in the world of servitude, which means they're living in a world of disconnect. You need to open up their source, and that's why it says Eved Ivri. What does Ivri mean? Ivri means from the other side of the river. Why why is Avram called Avram Ivri? Avram the Hebrew. 
Because Avram came from the other side of the river. Which means at the very source, you Jew, every Jew comes from before the river. Which river? The river that goes out of Eden. Which is the river, which is a source of life to all the worlds. We come from beyond that because we're beyond creation completely. Moshe Rabbeinu has to reveal he purchases which he reveals in you how even though you're an Eved you're living as a servant within creation every you really come from Ever Hanor from the other side of the river and therefore God is really natural to you because in essence you and Hashem are one the problem is in the process of creation you've lost that so Moshe does is he reconnects you to that place so that you can reconnect and he gives you the Das which is really yours, it's just that you've, you've lost it, and he's giving you back something that you've always had. Not anything new. What is the lesson of all of this? Just in a simple idea, just to understand, this is really the secret of the entire world of Hasidism, which people sometimes have such a problem with the concept of a Rebbe, of a, of a, of a, of a Tzaddik, and why Hasidim cleave and cling to a Tzaddik. And then... And, and without this sensitivity, one doesn't understand it. Like, why don't we have our own connection to God? Of course you have a connection to God. But the whole idea of a Moshe, that Hashem, that the real tzaddik, I'm not talking about just someone who knows how to learn. That's what we're talking about over here. We're not talking about someone who opens a shtibel and makes a good kugel and people come and, and he's a Rebbe. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a real Rebbe. A real tzaddik, who when you walk into his presence, you don't see him. That's the whole idea. His entire being is fades out and God is suddenly so real so the people that will argue and say it's a form of idolatry it's a kind of it comes from such a coarseness of soul of not having an appreciation to the idea of the of the MS of experiencing getlichkeit that tzaddik enables you to experience the abishd in a real that's real and we must have a tzaddik we must be connected or else we're lost we're mamish lost a person, and the words, especially the students of the Baal Shem Tov, and the continuous, these words, tzaddikim from a different world, which you saw in them that God and godliness was their reality and is their reality. They infuse in each and every one of us that ability to be able to live in a world where Getlachkeit and Hashem is MS and real. Once Mashiach comes, then we're all going to be in a state of das of our own das. And then the tzaddikim will take us further into higher levels of das. But this is the idea of these neshamas. May we merit to experience the kulam yadu oisi. We all will know him. Mamish now.